Today, I'm going to begin a brand new series talking about how to become a water walker. I've got a brand new book out on this. And I tell you, this is powerful. It's just talking about how to receive a miracle from God. You know, I actually pinched this title from a good friend of mine, Pastor Dick Braswell, down in Mobile, Alabama. And he had a teaching entitled, How to Become a Water Walker. I really like the title. The teaching on this is mine. Uh, this actually came from a time that I was up studying early one Sunday morning. This has been 15 or 20 years ago. And I just came to Matthew chapter 14. And when I was studying the example of Peter walking on the water to go to Jesus, it just really dawned on me. I mean, the Holy Spirit ministered to me and I wound up staying home that day. And I made three hours worth of teaching on just this one thing. And so now we've developed it into a book. So I pinched the title from this friend of mine, Dick Braswell, but the teaching is mine. It's what the Holy Spirit gave to me. And I tell you, it's just basically about how you can walk with God and receive a miracle in whatever area you need. You could talk, call this how to get healed, how to walk in joy and peace and victory, how to see your vision come to pass. It just applies to anything that you need. The elements that are in this story, it's just like everything is right there. It's all brought together about how you can receive a miracle from God. But there's a reason why Peter walked on the water and nobody else did. And we're going to look at this, and I believe that this would become a real blessing to you. It could make a huge difference in your life. Again, let me mention that this is a brand new book. First time we've ever offered this. It's hot off the press. And this teaching on how to become a water walker, I believe, is going to be a real faith builder, and it'll make a difference in your life. So this is found in Matthew chapter 14. This is actually the experience where Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, not including all the women and children. And that's uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 14, in Mark chapter 6, and in John chapter 6. But the instance of Peter walking on the water is only recorded in Matthew chapter 14. You know, it's interesting to me that Mark didn't record this and John didn't record it. John was actually there when Peter walked on the water, and yet he didn't record that in his gospel. This seems like such a miraculous thing that it would have been something that every person would have recorded this in their uh, testimonies about what Jesus did and the mirac miraculous thing that happened. But it's only recorded here in Matthew chapter 14. But it's important, when once we get into this and start talking about the whole thing, it's important that you recognize the context of this that this was after he had fed the 5,000 and it is immediately after that. Now that should have impacted the disciples and the way that they thought and the way they reacted to things. But especially over in Mark's account of this, you find out that their heart was hardened and that they just hadn't received the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And that's the reason that the majority of these disciples did not get out of the boat and walk on the water. So the story is listed here in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. It says, In uh, straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into the ship. Now we'll come back to this, but I want you to notice that He had to constrain His disciples, or I think the NIV says that He compelled. That means that there was resistance on their part, and yet He urged them and they submitted unto Him. 
So Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the even was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter is the only person outside of Jesus recorded in Scripture who ever walked on the water. This was a miracle that only uh, Peter outside of the Lord, Peter is the only person who ever did this that's been recorded in Scripture. And in verse 30 it says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. If you read this in John's account, again, it doesn't record Peter walking on the water, but it records Jesus walking on the water. And uh, Mark also records that, but it doesn't show Peter walking on the water. But when Peter and Jesus got back into the ship in John chapter 6, it says immediately they were at the land where they were headed. And it says up here that they were only in the midst of the sea. So they were transported like, I don't know, a mile or more across the Sea of Galilee. The ship, all of the disciples and everything were just transported to the other side. So this was a mighty, mighty miracle. But there are some things in here that if you just read through this, a casual reading of this, you might miss. And yet there are some elements here that are really, really important. Now let me point some things out. And this is really important that you get the context of this. Again, the disciples had just seen Jesus feed the 5,000 men, not including all the women and children. There were thousands of people that were miraculously fed out of five little loaves and two small fish. And they fed all of these people and wound up with all of these baskets full of extra food after everybody had seconds and thirds as much as they want. They had seen a mighty, miraculous manifestation of the power of God. And it says in uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, that they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And then in verse 22, and straightway, that means immediately Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And so Jesus constrained his disciples. He compelled his disciples. Now, again, this is something that's subtle, but why was there a resistance on their part? Why did they not want to get into the ship? And this is speculation on my part, but I believe it's a Holy Ghost-inspired speculation. I believe it's absolutely correct. All of these disciples here were, were taken from this area of Galilee. They, many of them, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen on this sea. 
And you know, the people who were raised on this sea, they knew that storms would blow down on that sea and it could turn bad in a hurry. And they made their living fishing on this sea. And I believe that they saw the signs of a storm coming. You know, many of us who live in cities nowadays, we just don't realize this. But when I pastored a little church in Pritchett, Colorado, these were people that were ranchers and farmers. And when I first came there, I came from a large city. And when I moved out to this little place, I mean, Pritchett only had 144 people in it. And it was 30 miles from a town that only had 100 people in it. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And these people didn't get weather reports, you know, telling them what the weather was going to be and when it was going to rain and stuff like this. But yet they would come in and they say, well, it's going to rain tomorrow. And they'd tell me it's going to snow tomorrow. And they could tell me how much. And, you know, I knew that they didn't have a weather report. Nobody reported on the weather out where they lived. This has been a long time ago. Things were different. And there was just no way for them to know it. And I thought, you know, this must be superstition or something. And yet, I mean, just like clockwork, these people could predict the weather better than the weatherman could. And I didn't understand it first, but see, they lived on the land. They were close to the land. And because of it, they could tell when the humidity changed. They could tell by looking, you know, if there was a ring around the moon, that there was a lot of humidity in the air, and they could make these predictions and they were very accurate with it. I believe that these people who grew up closer to the land, especially those who were fishermen on this sea, they realized or recognized that a storm was coming, that all of the uh, elements to create a storm were present, and there was a resistance on their part from getting into this <coughs> ship and heading to the other side because they saw that it was going to be a bad storm and it was going to be hard to cross. And, but Jesus constrained them. He compelled them. He urged them against their own wisdom to get into this ship and to head to the other side. Now, this is the very first thing that I believe qualifies us for walking on the water or seeing the miraculous power of God in our life to where we can overcome the things that are trying to overcome us. And that is that you've got to have a word from God. And even if it goes against your own wisdom, you need to be following God. You need to position yourself for a miracle. That's another way of saying it is that you can put yourself in a position where you are ready to receive a miracle. But you know, the average person, I believe, they lean under their own understanding. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And this is just one of the ways that you follow the Lord is that you do what he tells you even against your own wisdom. And I'm telling you, there are so many people who get out of position and aren't in a position to receive the miraculous power of God because they quit doing what God has told them to do. You know, one of the examples, a real practical example, is that during the recent recession, great recession, the average Christian, the very first thing they did to adjust to the recession and to the predicted downturn in the economy was that they cut back their giving to the Lord. Now, 
the Lord told us that we are supposed to give Him the first fruits, not just during good times, but during bad times. The very worst thing that you could possibly do during a recession is to cut back on your giving. But see, a lot of people leaned under their own understanding. They saw a coming storm, a financial storm, and instead of doing what God told them to do, they backed off of their giving. That's one of the ways that they begin to cope and save up. And so they never even put themselves in a position to have God come through in a miraculous way because they quit doing what God told them to do. See, these disciples, they saw a storm. They knew that there was potential problem ahead and they could have just stayed on the shore. They could have disobeyed the Lord. And had they done that, they never would have seen Jesus come walking to them on the water. Peter never would have gotten out of the boat and he never would have walked on the water. He never would have had this miraculous encounter with God. We would not be talking about it. The very first step in seeing the miraculous power of God manifest in your life is that you've got to do what God has told you to do and not lean under your own understanding. And there's other ways. Uh, you know, it's not only this financial example that I use, but in the area of emotions. There are times that, man, we just see problems coming and what we do is withdraw. We quit giving of ourselves to other people. You could see potentially that somebody's going to persecute you for standing up and speaking the gospel. And there's a lot of people that will just shut down and that they won't speak forth their faith because they're afraid of the criticism but then they want the miraculous testimonies. You know, like I could give you so many testimonies of people who have called me a cult, who have branded me as terrible things, who've come out against me, and I just kept walking in love towards these people. I would go to their meetings, and God has miraculously restored the relationship. This one person who branded me as a terrible cult has now come, come around completely. I've literally had people come and fall at my feet in front of hundreds of people during a conference and repent of what they've said and done about me. Now, see, many of you would like to have that testimony. You would like to see God intervene and reconcile and put things back together, but you withdraw when something like that happens. You won't continue to do what God told you to do. And so you, you back up, you quit uh, dealing with these people, you quit getting around them because you don't want the criticism and stuff, and yet you want the miraculous things. That's like the disciples. They wanted to walk on the water. They wanted to see the miraculous supply of God, but they weren't ever going to get out on the water because they knew that a storm was coming, and so they would just disobey Jesus and stay there. And if they had done that, nothing would have happened. Likewise with you and me. I'm telling you, a key to walking on the water and not just physically walking on the water, but seeing the miraculous supply of God in your life in some supernatural way is that you have to do what God calls you to do. And even if you see that it's going to have a potential for damage to you physically, emotionally, financially, Whatever it is, you have to do what God called you to do. And you've got to be where God called you to be. And I'm telling you, if you want to see the miraculous supply of God, you are going to have to follow Him. And God is always, always going to call you to do something that is beyond yourself, that's bigger than yourself. One of the reasons for this is because He wants you to depend upon Him. 
If what you are doing, if what you feel God has called you to do is something that you are qualified to do in just your natural self, with your own wisdom, with your own ability, with your own talents, then I believe you've missed God. God is always going to call, call you to do something that is beyond yourself to the point that you have to rely upon Him and you see His supernatural power working through you. Now, many people would like to see that. Many people would like to see God do something with them that is unexplainable except for the supernatural power of God. And yet, they won't head in that direction. They won't commit themselves to a course of action that is going to take them beyond themselves. I'm speaking to some people today. There are people that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me and God has laid some things on your heart, but it just looks too big for you. It looks like you can't, you can't go there. You can't get there on your own. And because of it, you are staying on the shore. You aren't even getting into the ship. You aren't even heading in the direction. God has given you a direction, but you just feel inadequate and you aren't heading in that direction. You'll never see the supernatural supply of God. Jesus isn't going to come walking to you on the water if you never leave the shore. You've got to head out in the direction that God has planned for you. But I also want to point this out. We're still in the very first verse of this teaching. In verse 22, it says, Straightway, Jesus constrained His disciples to get into His ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitudes away. Now notice, Jesus didn't just compel them to get into His ship and say, just get into the ship and go out on the sea. He gave them a direction and said, go to the other side. Now, this is the one who created the heavens and the earth, the sea, the dry land, everything in it. And Jesus gave them a word. He didn't say go halfway across this sea and drowned in an attempt. No, he told them to go to the other side. And see, this fits perfectly with what I was saying earlier. You first of all have to get to where you get a word from God. You get a direction for your life and you head in that direction. But the Lord is never going to call anyone to failure. Now, there is, it seems like that when God calls you, He's going to call you to something that's bigger than yourself. And so there will always be this potential, this risk of failure. Using myself as an example, I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And God called me to be on television and to speak to millions of people at a time. Did you know that there, that was a recipe for failure? There was potential for failure. There was a potential that I could get in front of a large crowd and just freeze up the way I had done so many times in my life and not be able to say anything. And there was the potential for absolute disaster. But God, when He called me into the ministry, didn't call me into the ministry to fail. When God calls you, there is a supernatural enabling that goes with the call. And just like these disciples, He didn't tell them to just get into a ship and head in some direction. And He, and he left them to their own devices and there was the potential that they were going to drown along the way. No, He told them to go to the other side. In that command, there is the promise that you are going to make it. You will make it to the other side. Now, this doesn't guarantee that you won't experience a storm along the way. It doesn't guarantee that there's not going to be any opposition. See, some people really miss the will of the Lord because they think that if God is in something, then that just means that there should be smooth sailing. 
that there's no opposition. And if they head in some direction, and if they have any problems at all, well, then they think, well, God must not be in this. Jesus told the disciples to get into this ship and go to the other side, and he knew that there was a storm coming. And so just because you experience a storm, just because there's opposition, just because it looks like there's potential for failure does not mean that you've missed God. Again, we have people that come to our Bible college from all over the world. And I would say that the average person really does believe that if God is in something, then it's just smooth sailing. That if God is in it, that there's no opposition whatsoever. Do you know that's not what Paul said? Paul said, pray for us because great and an effectual door is opened unto us, but there are many adversaries. Now see, again, this is counter to what most people believe. Most people believe if God opens up a door, then there's no resistance. There's no adversaries. There's no problems. That means that everything should just naturally fall in place. That's not so. Paul said that there was a great door opened unto him, but there were many adversaries. Everywhere he went, he got persecuted. Uh, He saw in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts a man in a vision saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so the next morning he woke up assuredly gathering that God had sent him into Macedonia. So he and his company went to Macedonia. The first place they went was Philippi. He ministered and saw uh, Lydia, a seller of purple, that was born again. And he began to start seeing some things happen. But then the crowds rose against him. They beat him. They uh, put him into prison. And I mean within just hours of him being in a position that God supernaturally showed him in a vision, he was in the dungeon. Now again, see, many people would say, well, he must have missed God. No, he was in the perfect will of God. But there was just a storm. There was some opposition. But the good news is God told these disciples to go to the other side. He said, you aren't going to drown in the storm. And whatever it is that God has called you to do, there is potential for failure. God is going to call you to do something that is beyond the natural, that is beyond yourself. He's going to stretch you. He's going to get you out of your comfort zone. And yes, there is potential for failure. But God's Word has called you to the other side. God never intended for anybody to come out and drown along the way. When He called the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, He didn't want them to stay in the wilderness and die in the wilderness. That was because of their own disobedience and unbelief that that generation died in the wilderness. God called them out to lead them in, to get them through the wilderness and into the promised land. And whatever God is speaking to you, God wants you to go to the other side. He doesn't want you to go halfway and drown. So he told them right here, you go to the other side. Now, remember, this is the one that created the heavens and the earth, the sea. He's the one that created all of these forces that wound up coming against him. I'm not saying that it was God that caused this opposition, but God is Lord over everything that he created. And God was going to see to it that they got to the other side. I believe God's best would have been for them to stand up and to take their authority and to see this come to pass on their own. You know, let me turn over to Mark chapter 4. And here is a parallel passage of Scripture 
where Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go to the other side. This is in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 35. It says, The same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And it says the same day. The same day is what? Well, it's the same day that he gave this teaching on the parable of the sower sowing the seed in Mark chapter 4 about the man who just cast seed into the ground and it slept and rose night and day and it just sprang and grew up about the mustard seed. There was actually 13 parables that Jesus taught in one day and every one of them was about the kingdom of God, how it worked, and it said that the kingdom of God is like a seed, the Word of God. And it was talking about the Word, how that the Word has to be acted on, it has to be sown in your heart and acted on. And it's that same day that he had been teaching them about this. They got into a ship and he said, let's go to the other side. And then he got into the ship and he went to sleep. And, you know, this wasn't a cabin cruiser where they had berths below the deck where Jesus was dry and warm. No, a storm came up. This was an open boat and Jesus was wet. He was probably sloshing around in the water just like everybody else. The waves were against them. The boat was about full of water and the, the disciples were fearing for their life. And it says down here in Mark chapter 4, and in verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Here were these disciples fighting for their life. And they came to Jesus and woke him up and said, You don't care. Don't you even care that we perish? Get a bucket and bail, row, do something. They thought he wasn't pulling his weight. But boy, here's a great lesson. And I could spend uh, an hour developing this. I just didn't have to say this very quickly, but I pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to get this. It wasn't Jesus' part to get them to the other side. He had taught them that day 13 parables about how that the Word of God is what makes everything work. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is miraculous. And He gave them a word. Let's go to the other side. He did not say, let's go halfway and drown. He said, get into this boat and we're going to the other side. If they had had the perception to understand what was happening, it's like Jesus had been teaching them all day long about the power of the Word and how powerful it is and how it works. And then he gives them a pop quiz. It's like, all right, let's see if you've learned anything. Let's get into this boat and go to the other side. That was his part, was to give the Word. This is the one that created the heavens and the earth by speaking words. The world, worlds were framed by the Word of God, Hebrews 11:3, And so God spoke the worlds into existence, the wind, the waves, everything. They were created by words and they will respond to words. And so Jesus gave them a word that would have got them to the other side had they have understood and have believed and taken their authority and used it. It was Jesus' part to give them the word, the promise to say, go to the other side and he would back up his word, but they should have used their own authority. Jesus was trying to make disciples, not just converts. He was trying to teach these people how to walk in the supernatural. And so he told them, let's go to the other side. And he went to sleep. And I am sure that he was aware of the storm. 
Again, it was an open boat. He was wet. He was sloshing around in the water. He knew what was going on, and yet he didn't get up and do anything because it wasn't his turn to do anything. He had given that authority to his disciples, and he wanted them to get up and rebuke the wind and the waves. So they said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And look at Jesus' response. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? In other words, he didn't say, Guys, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm the one with power. I'm the one that should have taken care of this. You weren't capable. I'm sorry. I was just tired. Forgive me. No, he didn't do that. He, in a sense, rebuked them. What's wrong with you guys? Why are you so fearful? How come you don't have any faith? I spent all day long teaching you about what the Word of God would do, and then I gave you a word. Let's go to the other side. You could have taken this. If you would have used your faith, you could have got us to the other side. You could have rebuked the wind and the waves. I know that there's people thinking, well, that's unreasonable. We're only human. We aren't only human. When you get born again, one-third of you becomes wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. One-third of you is absolutely born again and you have the supernatural power and authority of Jesus in you. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, many of us are asking God to do what He told us to do. He told them to go to the other side. He didn't say go halfway and drown. You go to the other side. He had taught them about the power of words. And if they would have understood, they could have rebuked the wind and the waves. They should have taken their authority. Now, man, that's powerful. And see, that's the exact same thing that happened here. This is a separate instance. Jesus wasn't in the boat this time, but he told them to get into the boat and to go to the other side. So in that word, it's the exact same principle. They had the power. They had the authority. God would not tell you to do something that you cannot do. Now, it may be be beyond your own natural ability, but if you will submit to Him and depend upon Him and release your faith, God will infuse you with His power and He will supernaturally empower you to do what He has called you to do. He called these disciples to go to the other side. And in that, there is a veiled, hidden reference to the power and the authority of a word from God. God had given them a word and they headed in that direction against their own judgment. They knew that a storm was coming and they headed in that direction, but they faltered in their faith and Jesus had to come out and rescue them. And praise God. You know, this is one of the great things about the Lord is that if we would just do things perfectly, if we would follow God and never doubt in our heart Mark eleven twenty three says we would have whatsoever we say if we don't doubt in our heart. And I believe that God's best is for us to follow Him, stay strong in faith, and for us to deal with these things. But these disciples faltered in their faith and Jesus came out and rescued them. And then when we get further into this story, you'll find that Peter, he got out and walked on the water And for a brief period of time, he did something that no other person besides Jesus had ever done, and that is to walk on top of water. It was absolutely miraculous. But you know what? He failed. He didn't do it perfectly, and he began to sink. He called out to the Lord, and the Lord reached out His hand and lifted Him up and saved Him. 
And God didn't just let him drown and say, you sorry thing, if you would have been believing me, if you would have acted on the Word of God, you could have walked all the way. I think that that's true. If Peter hadn't have looked at the wind and the waves and if he hadn't have taken his eyes off Jesus and began to start being fearful, I believe he could have kept walking on the water. I think that that's absolutely true. Peter did fail. He didn't do it perfectly, but God didn't let him drown. God resurrected him. God lifted him up. And I'm telling you that, you know, if you step out, if you get off the shore, get into the ship, start heading in the direction that God wants you to go, I'm not guaranteeing that you'll do it perfectly. And you may make some some mistakes, but you know what? Praise God for Jesus. Jesus loves us. And I believe, I believe that the Lord looks at things differently than people do. See, God doesn't just lead you out into this dangerous position, out into the deep where there is potential for failure and leave you to your own devices wondering, am I going to make it? No, God told them to go to the other side. And if God leads you to do something, it may be beyond your own ability, but God will supernaturally enable you to get to the other side. He doesn't call anybody to go halfway and drown. He doesn't lead you out uh, to just leave you in the wilderness, but He leads you out so that He can lead you into the promised land. And we could just camp here for a long time, but because I believe that the majority of people never get past these first two things. They never are really going in the direction that God wants their life to go. And even if they head in that direction, many people are just thinking that God has led them out here to fail and they don't have any confidence that they're going to get to the other side. You got to have those two things. You got to be moving in the direction that God has for you with the confidence of faith and assurance that you are going to make it. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know when you're going to make it, but you will make it. You have faith and confidence in the Lord. And if you don't do those two things, you aren't going to see the miraculous intervention of the Lord because you aren't where God called you to be. And sadly, I believe that the vast majority of people aren't following God in these two areas. And because of it, there's just no way that you're going to be walking in a miraculous way, the way Peter did. It was all, um, they positioned themselves for this miracle by going against their own wisdom, following God, and sticking with it. Boy, that is important. Let me also point this out. It goes right along with it. In verse 24, it says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. You know what this means is that the wind was blowing against them. I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and it's only, I'm, I may get this wrong, but I'm close. It, it's only like two miles or something like that across the Sea of Galilee. It's not a long thing. And under normal circumstances, it would only take an hour or two to cross the Sea of Galilee. But it says in the next verse that it was in the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came walking unto them. So he sent them away before sundown. You know, that could vary some, but somewhere around, say, 6 o'clock or something like that, God sent them out on this sea. And somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., nearly 12 hours later, they had only gotten halfway. If it's only a two-hour trip across there, they had only covered one hour's distance in, say, nine hours or 10 hours or whatever it was, but somewhere around there. 
And it says the wind was contrary to them. So, to their credit, if the wind was blowing against them and they were in a situation where it looked like they were going to drown, you know the easiest thing to have done would have been to turn that boat around, put that sail up and use that wind to get them back to shore in just very, very short order. They could have done that. But to their credit, they didn't. They kept going in the direction that God had pointed them. And I'm telling you, this is a great deal. It goes right along with what we were saying, that it was against their wisdom to go out on the sea. And then when the storm came and the wind was against them, and either eight, nine, ten hours later, whatever, they were still struggling to get into that uh, direction that God had given them, it is to their credit that they didn't turn around, hoist the sail, and head for safety. And again, if you want to see the miraculous power of God, if you want Jesus to come walking on the water to you, and if you want to walk on top of the water to Him, if you want to see these miraculous things, one of the things you've got to do is head in the direction that God has given you and go against your own wisdom, your own understanding. Have a confidence that you're going to make it to the other shore. And like what I'm teaching here today, when the wind comes contrary, don't turn around and take off and head for the shore. Boy, I've got so many people. I've got some people I'm dealing with right now who have had some storms come against them. Things aren't the way that they wanted them to be. They're not the way that they should be. But they are just taking the easy way out. I was talking to a couple not long ago who were struggling in getting started in ministry, and they had some problems, and they are real problems. I'm not trying to say that they aren't problems, but they just decided that they were getting out of the ministry and they're going to go do something else. And I told them, I said, you know what? I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. All of these things are valid concerns. But I said, Jamie and I didn't have near the support that you've got. We didn't have, we had things a hundred times worse. And the one of the reasons that we made it was because we just refused to quit. I mean, we had burned our bridges behind us. When God called us into the ministry, I didn't have a plan B or a plan C. I didn't just start in that direction and see if it was going to work. And if it worked and if it wasn't too much effort, well, then I'd continue in that direction. No, we, we didn't have any other plans. We had burnt all of our bridges. There was nowhere else to go. And I can promise you that in my life, of course, I'm not sure that I did everything exactly the way I should have. It probably could have been done better. That's why I believe God led me to start a Bible college so that we can train other people and help them avoid some of the problems that I've had. And so I'm not saying I did it perfectly, but one of the things that worked for me was that I just started doing what God told me to do and I've never quit. And I tell you, that's worth a lot. And there's a lot of people who may be more talented, more anointed, more charismatic, more everything, and yet they just, when the going got tough, they quit. They turned the boat around, put the sail up, and headed for the shore. One of the things that positioned these disciples for a miracle for Jesus to come out and supernaturally intervene is the fact that they went in the direction that Jesus told them to against their own wisdom they had some confidence that they were going to make it to the other side. And when the wind was so contrary to them, they didn't turn around 
and head for the shore. They kept going in the direction that God told them to do. They were willing to die going in that direction. And I'm telling you that this is just a supernatural part of Peter walking on the water. If Peter would have just, you know, decided, man, enough of this, let's head back for safety. If he had never got into the boat in the first place, if they'd have never even moved in that direction, none of these things would have happened. History would have been different. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's many of you that are playing it way too safe. You're afraid to do things. You have direction. You know that God has led you to do something. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like into the ministry like what I'm talking about. Some of you, God has led you to stand up at your job and just to speak out. And yet you're afraid that if you do that, that somebody's going to criticize you, that you're going to be persecuted. You could even lose your job. And so because of it, you aren't doing what God called you to do. And you aren't going to see a miraculous intervention. Everybody wants a testimony, but people don't want the test to get the testimony. You know, I think it was Joyce Myers that said, if you don't have a test, then all you've got left is a money. You have to have a test. There are going to be opposition. There's going to be a situation where it looks like you're going to fail. But if you will continue to do what God has called you to do, then is when you see God miraculously come through. And I'm telling you that the vast majority of people don't see the miraculous power of God because when the going gets tough, you just quit and you take the easy road out. You won't stand. You won't do what God called you to do. You know, I've seen God come through for me, I mean, thousands, thousands of times. I've seen God intervene in relationships. I've seen God come through (coughs) financially. I've seen God heal my body. I've just seen God in every area of my life come through and I am a walking testimony to the power of God, but I have been through hardship. I have been through things that looked like it was going to destroy me. But because I just kept doing what God called me to do and didn't quit, then I've seen God come through. And this is what I learned right here through these disciples. They had to get into the ship against their own wisdom. They had to believe, we're going to the other side. We aren't going halfway. And when the wind got so strong and it looked like they were going to drown, they didn't take the easy way out. They didn't turn the boat around, hoist the sail, and head for the shore and safety. They were still going in the direction that God bid them to go, even at the peril of their life. And I'm telling you that that is an attitude that is rare today. But it's really essential. If you're going to see God miraculously intervene in your life, you need to get so committed to the things of God that, God, I'm going to follow you, and if I die trying, I'd rather die trying to follow you than to take the safe way out and do things my own way. You need to get to where loving God and doing what God calls you to do is more important to you than your own life. You know, the Apostle Paul, let me turn over and read this to you. He was having a minister's conference and he called all of the elders of the church in Ephesus. And I mean, there could have been hundreds of these elders. He called them together and he talked about how the troubles he had faced. He was facing death all of these times. 
and he was heading for Jerusalem and he says, I go bound in the spirit knowing that bonds and afflictions await me. But notice what he said in Acts chapter 20 verse 24, but none of those things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. How is it that you keep prison and beatings and potential death and ridicule and rejection and just on and on? I mean, Paul was rejected and yet it didn't stop him. It didn't deter him from doing what God called him to do. How do you do that? He gave the answer right here. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. That's the way that he was able to endure hardship was because he, he didn't care that much about himself and his own personal luxuries and comfort and things like this. He loved God and he loved people and wanted to accomplish what God had led him to do. And that was paramount to him. You can see this reflected over in Philippians chapter 1 when he was writing to the Philippians and he was trying to comfort them. They heard that he had been imprisoned and shipwrecked and all of these things. And he was now in Rome facing Nero and possible execution. And he was writing back to his partners, Philippians chapter 1 verse 5. That word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia and it means partners, partnership. He was writing to his partners and he was trying to comfort them. And how did he do it? He says, don't worry because the gospel is being spread. The things that have happened to me have all turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. You know what he's saying is that spreading the gospel, seeing people's lives changed is more important than my own comfort. And he even went on to say in Philippians chapter 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now see, when you have that attitude, when you have this attitude like the disciples had right here, that even though it was against their better judgment and they were in a storm and it looked like they were going to die, they did not turn around, put up the sail, head for the shore. They were still going in the direction that God wanted them to. Even if it killed them, they were going to try and obey their master. Now, when you get that kind of an attitude, I guarantee you that solves a lot of problems. I mean, how do you intimidate a person who's already dead to themselves? A person who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is even better. How do you intimidate a person? You can't come to them and say, quit preaching the gospel or I'll kill you. I mean, they just reach up and give you a kiss like, oh, that's wonderful. I can see Jesus today. So they say, all right, well, then we'll put you in prison and we'll beat you. And at midnight, they just start singing and praising God and God sends an earthquake and delivers them all. And they say, well, then, all right, we'll let you go. And they say, fine, I'll go preach the gospel. See, a person who's dead to themselves, a person who's not afraid of failure, a person who has put loving God and serving God ahead of everything else is positioning themselves for a supernatural miracle from God, just like these disciples got right here. If you want to see the miraculous power of God, then you've got to put yourself in a position where you are out on a limb, you are obeying God, you are moving in the direction that He's given you and you are not backing down even if it looks like your life, if it looks like the loss of your job, if it looks like the ridicule from the people that you love and lack of acceptance and on and on it goes. You just have to put yourself in a position to where you are doing what God called you to do regardless. If it hair lips the devil, you are going to do what God called you to do. Man, this is, this is essential. This is an attitude that I have. I'm not perfect in it. 
I'm not saying that I've done everything right, but I have made commitments in my life and I have done things when it looked like it was going to kill me. God showed me in the very beginning of our ministry that I was going to have a worldwide ministry. I was going to touch people and we started out in Seagaville, Texas. That didn't look like uh, it was going to be a worldwide ministry. And then I moved to Childress, Texas. In Childress, we began to see some success. That's when I started on radio. We began to start making an impact on that community and the church grew. We were surviving. We were eating on a regular basis, which was a different than it had been before. There were some good things happening, and then God called me to go to Pritchett, Colorado. There was 144 people in the town of Pritchett, Colorado back then. It's a lot smaller now. It's really, <laughs> it's probably half that. It's dying. But at the time, there was 144 people, and there was only about 10 or 12 people in this little church that I went to in Pritchett, Colorado. And did you know that I knew that that's what God called me to do, but how do you use that to have a worldwide ministry. I mean, it was in the middle of no place. It was uh, about 20 miles or something from, La, from uh, Springfield, Colorado, which might have had a couple of thousand people in it. It was 30 miles from Kim, Colorado that had less than 100 people in it. If it wasn't the end of the world, you could see the end of the world from Pritchett, Colorado. And yet God called me to go there. And you know what? Even though it looked like the death of my vision, I knew that that's what God called me to do. And I was willing to do it. And I actually enjoyed living there. It was one of the best times of my life. And I enjoyed it. And, but it looked like it was going to be the death of me and the death of my vision. You know, the Lord called uh, Abraham to do the same thing. After he had believed for all of those years and finally Isaac came, then he asked him to sacrifice Isaac. It looked like the death of his vision. I believe that this is something that just every person goes through. God sees, are you really committed? Have you really died to yourself? Are you really willing to follow me? Even if it looks like it's not to your advantage. That certainly happened in my life. And so I went to Pritchett, Colorado, looking like the only way to leave there is feet first. It wasn't a stepping stone to anything else. But you know, looking back now, that is where God opened up the door and we went on, we began to start multiplying our radio ministry. That's where we incorporated Andrew Amick Ministries. That's where everything began to work. Now, in hindsight, I look back and I can't even see how I would have gotten to where I am had I not gone through Pritchett. But at the time, it just looked like it was the death of my vision and ministry. But you know what? I had an attitude that, God, I'll obey you even if it looks like it's to my disadvantage. And I'm telling you, this is absolutely essential. You got to be going in the direction that God has for your life. And when you experience opposition, when it looks like things aren't working, you have to just stick with it. You have to do what God called you to do and do it over a prolonged period of time, not just give it a test run, a trial run. <clears throat> and I tell you, this is absolutely essential. And there are too many people that honestly, they just do not stick with what God is calling them to do. I've talked to a number of people that I believe were called and anointed of God, and yet they just fall out along the way. They bail because it gets too tough. 
You know, I don't know that this statistic is true, but I've been, I was told this, that 80% of all ministers, people called into the ministry, quit within the first five years. And then out of the 20% that remain, 80% of those are ready to quit. They're burned out. They're discouraged. That means that there's only 4% over a prolonged period of time of people in the ministry who are enjoying it and thriving and prospering. The vast majority of people struggle and 80% of those people quit within five years. I promise you, if you just are trying something to see if it's going to work, you'll never make it. And I, I, that doesn't apply only to the ministry. That applies to anything. You have to be committed You have to get to a place to where if God called you to do something, you just do it. That is so simple to me. And yet I'm amazed at how many people, if they have a direction from God and it's going to cost them a relationship with their parents, with their fiance, if it's going to cost them financially, if they're going to lose their job, if this and this and this, there's people that just would sit there and debate about whether or not they will do what God called them to do. But, you know, that's not the way I look at it. And that's the reason I've seen God come through miraculously is because I'm doing what God called me to do. You know, the very first thing that happened when God first touched my life, the first significant thing, I was in college at the time, and uh, it was during the Vietnam War. I had a student deferment as long as I stayed in college, and I got... $350 a month from the government to pay me to go to college if I would stay in college. And the very first thing that God told me to do was to quit school. By doing that, I was going to immediately lose the government $350 a month. I was going to lose my student deferment and probably get drafted and sent to Vietnam where I could be killed. And when the Lord told me to quit school, I mentioned it to my family And my mother just could not understand this. She thought I'd lost my mind. All of the people at my church, they actually told me I could not be a Christian and say that God told me to quit school. I know some of you think that I'm exaggerating that or who would say stuff like that. Well, the group that I was with, that's what they told me. And I mean, I suffered rejection on every level, potential loss of my life by being drafted and sent to Vietnam. And yet, it's what God told me to do. And so, I obeyed Him. And I saw God miraculously come through in the financial realm. I saw God miraculously repair these relationships like with my mother and put it back together. My mother became my strongest supporter. I went to Vietnam and you know what? I had miracles happen that supernaturally saved my life. I could have been killed many, many times. And I had supernatural intervention. And I mean, God showed up. Now, most people would like to have one of those testimonies about a relationship being restored, about finances being supplied, about God saving your life. And I mean, I had my life saved supernaturally. I was a chaplain's assistant. And one of the times a chaplain had me check out a Jeep out of the motor pool And we drove against regulations, but you know, the chaplains could pretty much do whatever they wanted to. You were supposed, once you left the compound, you were supposed to be in a convoy. 
and yet we drove out on our own against regulations. We went out to a little uh, church <coughs> where this chaplain wanted to go meet a local Vietnamese pastor. And so here we were at his house. We had lunch with him and his family. And while we were eating lunch, this chaplain asked and said, is there much Viet Cong uh, activity around here? And this pastor said, oh yeah, there's a lot. It says right across the street, there is a Viet Cong headquarters. And we looked out the window and there were dozens of Vietnamese walking around with AK-47 supplied by the Russians. And here was our U.S. Jeep parked in front of this Vietnamese church. And I mean, we could have been killed real easily. The chaplain got so scared. He says, get in the Jeep. And we never said a word and we just took off. And these guys with AK-47s were standing there blocking the road. They saw our Jeep coming and they just stepped to the side and let us drive right through them. You know, there is no reason for that. I mean, it was obvious that we were American soldiers. It was obvious that they were Viet Cong and they just parted. I don't know what they saw. We never did figure this out, but we drove right through the midst of this situation that we should have been killed and God just supernaturally, miraculously uh, saved our lives. In a sense, it's like walking on the water. We did something that couldn't happen. It was a miracle. Many people would like to have that testimony and say, man, I wish I could see some miracles, but would you do what God told you to do? Would you quit school that led you to being drafted, that put you in Vietnam and do all of these things? I positioned myself for a miracle because I was following the leadership of God and I was in Vietnam at God's bidding. I really believe that. I mean, it was God that put all of these dominoes in effect that led me to being drafted and sent to Vietnam. And so therefore, God was responsible for it. Did you know that that's right here in this story about Peter walking on the water? After it talks about him constraining them to get into a ship and go to the other side, look in verse 25, or excuse me, this is verse 23. <clears throat> and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the even was come... He was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary unto them. Now, what does this have to do with what I was talking about? Jesus didn't, you know, go into a hotel someplace. He wasn't sleeping in a Hilton Inn. He wasn't in a bed. He wasn't outside of the elements. This says he was up in a mountain praying. So this means that he was in the same storm that his disciples were in. And remember in verse 22, he had to constrain them to get into this ship and to go to the other side. So that means that he was responsible. This wasn't something they chose to do. This wasn't their idea. This was something God led them into. He was very aware of their situation. Now, I think that that is significant. And this really ministers to me. When I get into storms, when things are going against me, I go back and check. God, am I doing what you called me to do? If God called me to do it, well, then he knew that I was going to come into this problem. I was going to have this storm, this opposition against me. And God is responsible for where I am. <clears throat> now, that is absolutely essential. If you are going to see God provide a miracle for you, you need to be in a position 
where God is responsible for the position that you're in. There is something special when you are in the situation that you're in because of obeying God, not because of disobeying God. There is a law in the Word of God. Roman, uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And there are many people that you are reaping what you've sown. You have been sowing your wild oats. You have been rebelling at God. And you have caused a lot of problems in your life. Now, God will still love you and intervene if you'll repent and turn from that. But if you're just going to persist in a lifestyle that is completely contrary to God, if you aren't seeking God and seeking to listen to Him, you know what? You aren't going to experience the deliverance of God. Now, you could pray and you might get some relief, but for you to just walk in the supernatural power of God, for you to walk on top of the water and to have these miraculous stories, you need to be in the center of God's will. Now, again, am I saying that God will only deliver those who deserve it, who have done everything just right. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there needs to be this desire to live for God and a commitment to seeking God. If you are out rebelling at God and because of it you've had uh, people break in and steal everything because you're running with the wrong crowd, because you're selling dope, because you're getting drunk, if you've got cirrhosis of the liver because you're an alcoholic and stuff, you can pray for a miracle, but even if God gave you a miracle, you'll get the same thing back seven times worse because you're continuing to do these things. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. There are consequences to your actions. And when you just yield to the devil... John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan is out to steal, kill, and to destroy from you. And when you yield to him, he is going to just eat your lunch and pop the bag. You are not going to prosper. There are consequences to your actions. And if you turn to the Lord and with all of your heart repent, well, then God can intervene. But if you are just calling to the Lord because you are in trouble that you got yourself into and you want Him to deliver you so you can go right back to living the messed up life that you were living in the first place, well, then you aren't going to see this miraculous intervention. But see, these disciples, they were out on the lake because God constrained them. They had not turned around when they could have. When the wind was contrary, they could have turned the boat around. They could have hoisted a sail. They could have been back to the shore in safety in just minutes. And yet they were still going in the direction that God called them to go. And they should have been aware that Jesus was in the same storm that they were in. They should have known that He was responsible for them being there. If it would have been up to them, they wouldn't have been in this situation. Jesus was responsible and therefore they should have taken great comfort in the fact that Jesus knew their plight and that he was not going to leave them alone, that he would come and rescue and help them. You know, I've been in situations, uh, I've, I've talked about some of these, but God led me to Pritchett, Colorado, a little town of 144 people to pastor a church of 10 people. And I left a church of about 50 or 60 
which isn't big, but I mean, it's sure a lot bigger than 10 people. And I left to go there. I did it because I was obeying God. And when I got there, I came into some problems. There was some opposition. But you know what? I took great comfort in knowing that God, you led me here. And even though there are problems, even though there is a storm, even though everything isn't perfect, I know that you have led me here. And I just took great comfort in that. And because of it, trusted the Lord that, that, that he knew what he was doing and that it would work out. And it did. And it turned out to be a tremendous experience. You need to know that God is in this same storm. That if you have obeyed God, if you're in this situation because you've stepped out and you've obeyed God, maybe you haven't done it perfectly. None of us do anything perfectly. But you've obeyed God to the best of your ability. Then you know what? You need to just rest and take comfort in the fact that God is in that same storm with you and that God is going to come to you and God will deliver you. So you can position yourself for a miracle. Many people are out of position, and that's the reason that they aren't seeing the miraculous power of God. And so we've already dealt with a lot of these verses. Let me just jump down that it says in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, you know, I was in the military and they still have this. They have four watches in the night that are three hours each. And so it goes from like six at night till six in the morning. The fourth watch was from 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. So this means that they left before dark, probably somewhere around six, seven o'clock or something like that. And this little two hour trip across the Sea of Galilee under normal conditions, here they were at least eight, maybe 10 hours uh, 11 hours later, and they were only halfway across because they were in this storm. The boat was now full, and uh, they were in a desperate situation. And in verse 26, <clears throat> or, uh, yeah, the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, I really like this. You know, Jesus was just walking on top of the thing that was about to kill them. And yet Jesus was walking on top of it. You know, sometimes when we get into a crisis, we think that this is so big that even God is overwhelmed with this. We get to thinking that God somehow or another is just hard pressed to meet our need. <clears throat> I actually had a man come to me one time and this guy wanted prayer. And he said, I've got a pain in my neck. And he says, I've got terrible neck pain. It goes down my back. My back is out of line. I got hip problems. I've got a sciatic. And he went on down to his feet talking about his toes and his pain in his feet and bunions and this and this and this. And he named off all of these things. And then he came back and he says, but you know, the pain in the neck is the big thing. If I could just get that healed, I could live with the rest of it. And I told him, I said, well, I understand what you're saying. I said, you know, if we were to pray for your neck, your back, your hips, your sciatic, your feet, your bunion, all of these things at once, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure that God has enough power to pull all of this off at one time. And as I said these things, he just kind of laughed. And he said, that's pretty stupid what I said. And I said, it's real stupid. I said, God's not intimidated. He's not overwhelmed with you having multiple things wrong and you just have to get the biggest one dealt with. But see, there's a lot of people that when they get into a crisis, this is so big that even God is struggling to deal with this. 
I've had people come to me before and say, this is a big problem. I need you to fast and pray before I bring this person for prayer. And I said, hey, God can handle it. And they say, oh, no, you have to fast and pray. I want two days of fasting as if, you know, this is really going to be hard for God. I like Jesus. He just came walking on top of the very thing that was about to kill these disciples. And he was just totally in control. God is not intimidated by your problem. Let me read this same thing to you out of Mark chapter 6. It's the same story about Jesus walking on the water, but in Mark 6 and in John chapter 6, it doesn't show you Peter walking on the water to Jesus. Matthew's the only one that records that. But look at what it says over here in Mark chapter 6. It says <clears throat> that in verse 40, but when they saw him, or excuse me, let me back up one verse, verse 48, and they, he, he saw them, Jesus saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Mark is the only one that records this phrase, that Jesus would have passed by them. This is amazing to me. You know that Jesus came out there to help them. They were about to drown. They were in a crisis situation. Jesus came walking on the sea to help them. He wasn't out just for a stroll. Jesus didn't just walk across the Sea of Galilee to have something to do. He did this specifically to come and save them. But he made as though he would have passed by them. In other words, if it, you know, it's hard to imagine you being in Jesus' position, but if I could imagine this and I would have come out there to save them, I would have come running, waving my arms, you know, blowing the trumpet. Here, here's the Calvary coming to help you. Hold on, guys, I'm coming to get you. Jesus just came for a stroll and he, he walked close enough that they could see him, but he would have passed by them if they didn't cry out. Boy, here is a great lesson. And that is that if you are in a storm, if you're in a situation, <clears throat> the Lord is there to help you, but he is not going to do it for you. He is not going to just automatically take care of this you have to call out to him. You have to place a demand upon him. You have to reach out and take hold of his power. God is reaching out to you. God is speaking to you through me. And God is presenting himself. But you know what? He'll pass right on by if you just sit there like a knot on a log and then go about your own way and go back to your doubt and your fear and your unbelief. He's speaking to you. He's presenting himself, but you have to respond. You have to reach out. You have to cry out. These disciples, when they saw him, they cried out. And it was only after they cried out that Jesus responded unto them. This is really important. Whoever you are, whatever situation you're in, Jesus loves you. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there to help you, but he's not going to do it unless you make a demand on his power. It's like the woman in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark who reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And when she did that, the power of God flowed. But if she hadn't have reached out, if she hadn't have touched him, the supernatural healing power of God wouldn't have flowed. There are some of you that need a miracle from God. You desire it. You may be praying and asking God for help. But have you reached out and in faith 
said, in the name of Jesus, I'm getting this. In the name of Jesus, I'm not letting Jesus pass by without supplying my need. You have to get that attitude. You can't be passive. And look at what Jesus did. When they saw him, they cried out for fear. Man, I wish I had time to teach on uh, Mark chapter 6, but it says over there in Mark 6, 52, that the reason they were shocked and amazed to see Jesus was because of the hardness of their heart. You know, the reason people cry out in panic and in fear instead of faith is because of the hardness of our heart. I got a teaching on that, but I hadn't got time to go into that. But in verse 27, it says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. They weren't sure that this was real. And Jesus said, Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. It's me. Now, let me point out the obvious right here. Why didn't Jesus just calm the wind and the waves and bring the boat to the other side? Wouldn't that have calmed them? Wouldn't that have made them of good cheer? Why did he tell them? Here's what he said. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Why did he tell them to be of good cheer before the situation had changed? Why didn't he just change the situation and then they would have been of good cheer? See, this is, this is a pivotal issue right here. And this is why so many people do not see the miraculous power of God, why they aren't walking on the water, but instead they are, being, they are drowning. They're being submerged and overcome by the water. It's because people want to wait until all of their problems are fixed and then they're going to have faith in God and then they're going to rejoice and then they're going to praise God and then they're going to stand up and say, I knew it all along after they're on the other side of the Red Sea. Boy, this is, this is important that you understand this. You, God needs us to operate in faith for His miraculous power to manifest. Now, I could spend weeks on this. I'm just going to mention this relatively quickly. But in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, in verse 5, it says, Jesus could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. Not because of His unbelief. He didn't have any problem. But other people have to believe in order to receive. Many people don't accept this. Uh, I've had people bring up before the uh, child that was raised from the dead in the city of Nain. And they say, what faith did he have? He was dead. <clears throat> well, first of all, you're supposing that a dead person doesn't have a choice in what happens to them. Now, I don't believe that's true. I think that it's wrong to suppose that a dead person doesn't have any choice. But... Even if you believe that, I can't prove that they do. You can't prove that they don't. But you can turn over to that example where Jesus raised this boy from the dead at the city of Nain, and he went up to the mother of the child, and he says, weep not. Now, if he didn't want her to weep, why didn't he just raise her son from the dead? Wouldn't that have stopped her from weeping? But why did he tell her to weep not before he had raised the son from the dead? Because... He has to have some degree of faith working in us in order to move in our life. And this is the reason that he told the woman, weep not. This is the reason that he told his disciples to be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. He told them to do this before the circumstances changed. There needs to be some degree of faith working in our heart 
In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And most people put a period right there. And they say, Jesus is able to do anything exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. But that's not where the verse stops. It goes on to say, according to the power that works in us. If there isn't any power working in you, specifically love or faith, some of the things of God, if these things aren't working in your heart, then God cannot, or you could say would not. The end result is it is not going to get done if there isn't any power working on the inside of you. God has to have a response of faith. There has to be some degree of faith. Now, if you have a weak faith, if, you, if you're like the man in the ninth chapter of the book of Mark, the father of this child, and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God will help you. I'm not saying your faith has to be perfect, but there has to be some manifestation of faith. The more faith you have, you can turn around and God will say, be it done unto you according to your faith. If you have less faith, if you're struggling with your faith, you may need somebody else to come and agree with you and help you. But there has to be some degree of faith. You cannot just sit there in your storm in your problem, in total doubt and unbelief and refuse to believe anything and see the miraculous power of God manifest. You need to respond in faith. And that's why Jesus came to these disciples and told them, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. He told them to do these things before they saw the circumstances change. You need to step up and you need to start exerting some faith. And I know some of you think, you don't know my situation. You don't know your God. You don't know how powerful God is. You don't realize what He could do. I believe God has supernaturally had you tune into this program. And God is speaking to some people who are just, I mean, you're, you're ready to quit. You're ready to give up. You would quit, but you don't know where to go. And you just are sitting there. You're passive. You've become weak. And God is stirring you up. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 4 and 5, David was in a situation where his city had been burned. His wife and kids were taken captive. And the, his own men were talking about killing him. He cried until he couldn't cry anymore. But it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David was able to recover everything. And within a matter of days, all of his dreams were fulfilled and he became the king. If he would have quit and give up during this dark time and not encouraged himself in the Lord, he would have missed out on God's will. You need to encourage yourself. God is saying, be of good cheer. Take a step of faith. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen.